Hey, welcome back to Season 3 of Pigeonhole Hockey, a participating member of the Hockey Focus Family Podcasts. This is Chris and today's co-host, Steve. Hey, how's it going, hockey fans? And you know us, we're just a couple goalies that have taken one too many pucks at the head and do not claim to be hockey experts, but simply overzealous hockey fans that love to play, watch, read, and talk about hockey. On this episode, we want to welcome our special guest, assistant coach for the University of Cincinnati's Bearcats, Steve Perkins. Steve, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thank you for having me on. Oh, thanks for jumping on. Really awesome that you were able to reach out and were able to do this. So, Steve, uh, right off the gate here, um, <laughs> I just got to mention, uh, ASU named an arena after you, my friend. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is some sick hockey flow you've got going on there. Got to admit, uh, when I was scrolling on through just to get some background on you, I uh, pulled up your picture and right away I just went, oh, man, that is some sick flow. So at some point <laughs> we need a live action shot of you skating with the helmet on or even no, actually go go full of flur. Go off. I want to see that stuff flowing. <laughs> in That's funny. Yeah, I mean, Barry Melrose is one of my favorite coaches. So I figured if he can get away with it on an NHL bench, I can certainly do it. <laughs> Oh, man, I tell you what, I tell you. Uh, well, this might be a great point to break into. Uh, Steve, tell us a little bit about yourself, your hockey life, and what led you to the assistant coaching role for the Bearcats. Sure. So uh, I was born in Bethesda, Maryland, just outside of D.C. at the Naval Hospital. Uh, my dad was in the Navy, so I moved around quite a bit when I was younger. He retired from the Navy in 2002, which is when we moved to the Naples, Fort Myers area in Florida. Um, from there, I ended up playing a lot with the Florida Eels, including junior hockey, um, it wasn't the USPHL back then, um, but they are part of the, that league now. From there, I went to Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. Uh, I just started studying coaching through their sports management program, um, continued my coaching education through USA Hockey. Uh, I was very involved in the youth program there with the Miami Junior Red Hawks for, I don't know, I guess like seven or eight years. I had a great experience there. Um, and then... I, while I was at Miami, I met Taylor Lay, who's the head coach at UC right now. He was a student there as well, um, working as a graduate intern at the rink. And we just kind of have built that good hockey relationship. He was at UC for about two years um, and then reached out. They had an assistant coach move out to Arizona. Um, so they were looking for a little more help on the bench. So this is my first season with the team. And so far, it's been awesome. Wow, Arizona. It's uh, That's uh, that's going to be close to Steve's heart there because he loves talking about that Arizona hockey. Um, yeah, actually going to be going to a game on Friday night. Uh, it'll be my I went just last week. Oh, no, sorry. The weekend before. Sorry, I'm old and my mind slipping too many pucks to the noggin. But oh, um, oh, it was it was great hockey. And what's amazing right now is it's being reported as the best ice in the NHL. So it's just fast and you can see it, you know, when I was watching ASU play, you could see that it was catching opponents off guard and they were playing Alaska. So, you know, land of ice and snow, they come here and that ice was just so fast. So I'm really looking forward to Friday night's game. It should be a good one. I believe they're playing Minnesota, but just a little off topic going back to this. I always ask people about NHL because you being in Cincinnati where you've got, you know, you're relatively close to the Blue Jackets. Who's your team in the NHL? So I'm definitely a Caps fan uh, being born in D.C. Yes. My parents were, were Caps <laughs> fans when I was born, so I've kind of held on to that. Um, CBJ, definitely my my second team at this point. We do get up to a fair number of games. And obviously just being the local product, um, you get, you know, you learn the news and the trades, et cetera, a little bit uh, easier locally. So well, we're 
we're gonna have to bring you back on when we bring a uh, co-host ben on because uh the the caps are my they're my side team i'm a primary sabers fan but i lived in dc for a while so i became a huge caps fan back in when i moved there in 08 i mean that's really when everything was becoming hot i mean they were just, yeah that's a much better time to be there than when i was there <laughs> i think you're granted your i don't remember it too well but it was 1995 <laughs> oh yeah i think you and ben will have a lot to share with uh being there for the original Screaming Eagle and just how bad um, it was going to the games there. Yeah, I'm going to have to bring you back on. This is already settled. Uh, you and Ben are going to have to talk caps well because you guys are the OGs. But the, like I said, they're my side team. Well, talking about what we consider now non-traditional hockey markets, which is going to shift here soon enough, you know, you, you know, Florida being, a, you know, is doing just a little okay with their NHL teams and their development of other teams. But first, before I go into that, let's talk about the Eels. And you said how they transitioned over to USPHLs. Would you mind yep. talking to us about the evolution of that team? Sure. So when I was there, uh, my first season was in the Southeast Junior Hockey League. From there, and I, I might be getting some of the details wrong, forgive me, it was 10 years ago. From there, it ended up being the Empire and the EJ is like the Eastern Junior Hockey League. And that was sort of the beginning of like the separation of the two levels within the same like sanctioning body, I guess that you'd say. And then if I recall correctly, a lot of the EJHL teams split off to form what is now the EHL with like your Apple Corps and stuff like that. Um, and then the USPHL came in and sort of started standardizing slowly. And I mean, it, I don't know if you guys remember, but junior hockey used to be pretty messy where there were, there were just so many teams and so many leagues and they all were called tier two or tier three this and it was just really hard to actually tell what level was what especially as a player as I was you know you're trying to navigate it just almost impossible and then I couldn't imagine as a coach trying to scout from any of these leagues so I will say I mean I'm really grateful for the USPHL and doing that there are still what 80 plus premier teams alone but they are at least <laughs> under one umbrella they've got them divided into regions that make sense um, the showcase format is, is really strong. So I, I really commend the USPHL and what they've been able to do in corralling sort of this chaotic uh, scene that was junior hockey, both off the ice organizationally and on the ice. I mean, the, the on ice talent and play is significantly better. Games are physical and, and incidents happen, but they're not the gong shows that they were 10 years ago. No, they did a pretty good job of uh, one thing I really I really like that the USPHL has done that I again, I'm not very familiar that other leagues have. I'm not 100 percent sure if the EHL allows fighting without suspension, um, but I do see a lot more fights than all. And I just think at the junior level, the USPHL does a pretty good immediate punishment on fights and, you know, deterring players from getting into fights by doing an immediate, you know, automatic suspension, minimum one game suspension for getting into a fight because, uh, you know, the kids at that age are still developing, even though they're young men and, uh, that head trauma can add up, especially in, in a sport as violence hockey. So I think they do a pretty good job of keeping that, like you said, corralled. And then again, we're big fans of the USPHL here. We, we talk about them a lot. So, uh, yeah, we're, the format, I love how they're developing it, and I love how the um, Mountain Division is turning NCDC next year because they needed, man, did they need, junior hockey itself needed something more represented out west so the west's talent don't always have to go east. Um, I know there's, like I said, 
the Null and the USHL have some presence down south and a little bit in the west, but nothing and nothing extensive. And I think having now six teams in the NCDC playing between Colorado, Idaho, and Utah is really going to help players that want to advance up be able to still choose that next level up without having to leave their side of the continent, so to speak. (laughs) Now, going back to my previous comment there, Steve, about the development of players, uh, we always chat a bit before the podcast, and I was bringing up, you know, when I was doing the USA National Program certifications, that California was actually the hottest market for hockey. But you you were based out of Florida, you know, and you're seeing that getting built up. You're watching, you know, Ohio, you know, being close to Michigan, you know, was always doing some. But of course, you're overshadowed by Minnesota and Michigan, you know, early on. But can you tell us about how hockey has evolved in Florida and what you're seeing going on with that program? Sure. Honestly, it's just been slow and steady. There's a lot of really dedicated people in, you know, specific ranks around the state. I just... So I bounced around a little bit myself and I I just remember like really being grateful, truthfully, of like the diversity that I played with, especially I went to Miami to play with the Little Toros and a significant number of our players were Hispanic and Cuban background, you know, and just like bringing it was it was more of a community based drink, I would say there. But it's just been impressive, I guess, across the state. The Sayhoff like state tournaments have been really, really good. Um, But now you're seeing plenty of schools at the club level in the CHF and in the ACHA. Um, I know UT is starting to build their program. Um, FGCU obviously has been a a bit of a juggernaut in the ACHA. Uh, And it just makes sense, right? I shouldn't do recruiting for them. But if you're a college kid and you want to continue to play hockey, Fort Myers, Florida is not a bad place to be living. Cincinnati (laughs) is a little bit better. I can't lie. But Fort Myers is a good second. Well, that brings us over to the great debate. Because <laughs> Chris and I have had this a few times. So, you know, yeah. um, if if I could go back, you know, and these were options for me to play hockey, because I said to Chris, like, would, would you not want to go to ASU for college or would you not want to come out to the team out here? And Chris loves the snow, loves your traditional hockey market. And I was just you know, blown away going, man, after getting the experience of going to an ASU game, multiple coyote games, showing up in shorts, T-shirts, sitting on a terrace, having a beer and a meal with my jersey slung over my shoulder, walking into the arena. Just such an epic feeling. So if it was up to you (laughs) and you got to start it all over again, would you still have stayed based out of Florida? Yeah, probably just because it was a bit circumstantial. I was playing junior hockey in high school, so I was living with my parents still. (laughs) So for me, I guess I would have stayed in Fort Myers. But I will say I do like Cincinnati. It's fun because if you don't like the weather, you just wait till tomorrow and it'll be different. Um, So we get we get both. Honestly, like we've already had back and forth games where we show up. There's three inches of snow on the ground. And then the next day you show up and it's 60 degrees and you can wear shorts to the rink. So that is kind of the, the fun of being in this this weird Midwest belt. But yeah, I did enjoy growing up playing in Florida. I really did. Um, Wearing flip-flops to the rink is fun. Well, I can tell you this. Chris must be just loving the fact that there's better player development now. And again, I can't wait for this turn to be gone, but non-traditional hockey markets because Tage Thompson just destroyed my Habs last night. (laughs) Still choking that one back. But so let's, let's focus now on your, you know, the history and the success of the Bearcats program. Would you mind telling us a bit about that? 
Sure. So our first season was in 1973. So we're really excited. Next year is going to be the 50th anniversary of the foundation of the program. It was off and on a little bit throughout like the 80s and 90s, from what I understand, but it's been steady since the 2000s. You know, we have the six straight regional appearances right now that, that we're continuing. We definitely expect to be in regionals at the end of this year as well. Final four appearance in 2019. So there's a lot of good things. The, the team is on the up and up. Again, this is my first season, but from what I understand, it was between six and eight years ago. A group of players came forward to Van Oler, who is a huge part of our program as sort of an adult liaison, if you will, just sort of help guide and mentor the program and help work with the school a little bit as well. And essentially they came to Van and they said, Van, we want to be more competitive. We want to take a jump. We don't want to be thought of as club hockey. We want to be UC hockey and we want to make a run. So from that, they decided to kind of step away from the league that they were in, in the TSCHL, to go to an independent schedule. The alumni and the students themselves started really focusing on building a schedule that would play high-level teams year over year, which we've been continuing to do. We're super excited going back to the T next year. Um, This is a league that has really, you know, all the teams are really, really solid now, and it just makes sense for us to not drive all over the country if we don't have to um it'll reduce our travel a little bit and we'll be playing you know these teams are the premier teams in our region so it's miami iu michigan ou ohio state uh ourselves dayton xavier i'm definitely missing a couple but yeah in terms of the midwest it is the premier acha division two teams um it'll also give us a good opportunity to play in a league tournament before regionals and then hopefully nationals so give yourself that opportunity to not only play three or four games back to back in a weekend, but also playing, you know, something that's a little bit more competitive. You know, you've got that trophy to play for and just sort of those those uh, clutch moments you can create before you uh, end up in, in a Steel Miller situation in nationals. Now, that's really cool. I just got to tell you, right, at some point, I want to head back in that direction. I'm originally from Ontario, Canada, so I'm very and lived on a border town. So very familiar with the Michigan-Ohio rivalry on everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'd love to get there to watch you play in the Michigan team just to watch that rivalry get ramped up. Yeah, absolutely. You should definitely come down. Um, honestly, our, our environment is really good. We play at an off-campus rink, but we're often putting 500 plus in sort of these small bleacher seats. We do get some good support from the school, so occasionally they'll send the uh, – there's a barstool group on campus that'll rally some guys. And then the official uh, rally cats is like the athletic department's fan club. Sometimes they'll bring the mascot out to our games as well. So we definitely can ramp up the atmosphere. We definitely have like four or five games, I'd say, a year that are really, really packed and, and a lot of fun. It's got to be a fun atmosphere out there. And I've been able to try to find a way sometimes to watch some of the ACHA action it can be tough. I mean, between all my other hockey watching schedule, I don't know how I'd fit it in. But I know that with a bunch of the, the players that promote themselves out of the USPHL because they age out and they, they end up in a ACHA or, or other hockey markets, it's uh, sometimes it's hard to be able to, to track down uh, their games and be able to see them because I know we have a lot of kids that move on uh, to the ACHA. So it's always try to it's always exciting to at least see them play at the next level. So that that's really cool. And so, speaking of Cincinnati, I know you guys currently aren't having the season you're hoping for, but the season's long and things can quickly turn around. What have been some of the high points of the season so far? Yeah, I think there have been plenty. And and you're right, the season is long, and I think we're getting right back on track right now. We've really turned a page in the last couple of weeks, so mm-hmm. I'm really excited to see what the end of this semester and, and on into the second semester brings for us. One thing that's been awesome to see is all our rookies getting goals. 
we haven't quite gotten every single one a, a goal yet, but it is amazing to see. And, and our older guys, I mean, sometimes they're literally jumping off the bench to run to the net to pick up the puck so that we can give it to the kid after the game. So that's been really cool to see. We do have a good number of rookies, so seeing them get involved. And honestly, I mean, we've had a lot of injuries here through the beginning part of the season, some illness as well, which is no one uh, isn't used to that at this point. But uh, it's been fun to get some of the younger guys into roles that they wouldn't have necessarily otherwise seen, get them some experience in special teams and in specific situations. So now, you know, once we're starting to get some of our older guys healthy again, we've got those younger guys right behind them. And we know that no matter the situation, you know, if a guy is tired or if, God forbid, a guy does get hurt, we know that we can throw these guys out there and, and it's not going to be an issue for us. So that's been really exciting for us, just building the confidence of our younger guys and for the staff and everyone, right? Knowing that I can throw out anybody, you know, I, I run the defense mostly. I can throw out any defenseman at any time and no one's going to have an issue with it, right? And no player is going to be second guessing or clutching because X guy is on the ice. Another thing I think that, that we've been able to draw from is our ability to battle back. We tend to lose on Friday and come back and win on Saturday, which is obviously not what you want. But it is nice to see the response every single time, um, especially a good win coming back against Louisville. You hate to take the moral victories at a level like this, but our game on Saturday against OU was fantastic. Our guys absolutely battled super physical and we dropped it two to one with like four minutes to go so a couple tough losses on there as well but again i think the boys are turning the page and getting confidence in some of the younger guys is helping us a ton so uh this will be for the post episode i'd love to talk with you you know being in a coach's position about the approach of uh, martin st louis with the canadians and younger players because it's sort of tying into what you're saying there but we'll get to that afterwards but having it made to the final four just a few years ago how are the bearcats poisoning themselves for the future yeah i mean for us it's just building off that not only talent wise but the work ethic and the professionalism of those players was impressive they are still involved in the program as well some of those guys that have graduated are exactly the guys that I'm talking about that are, they do the scheduling for us. They're reaching out to teams to schedule the games. Deepak is a former player turned coach, now turned scout slash manager. He does a lot for us. He's the kid that lives out in Arizona. So these guys that help build the program and help understand what it takes to kind of compete at that level and make it to the final four, right? And to compete truly for a national championship, they're still involved. And they're still trying to instill some of those standards into the players that we have now. It's unfortunate for us that we don't have a rink on campus, but a lot of ACHA teams don't. Most, I would say, don't. But fortunately, we have a 2,500 square foot locker room at our facility that at this point has been hand built by players. Full wood stalls. We have a full like classroom with the film and everything. Coaches locker room. They've got the skate sharpener inside of there. I mean, I, I think for the ACHA level, it's probably untouched save maybe a school like you marry where they have a rink on campus designated for their club teams but yeah other than that i don't think anybody can compete with our facilities and again that's built by students that aren't even in the program anymore they don't even benefit from this they just want to continue to help and and just build up well that shows the passion of the players and the kind of maybe the 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 way the program's been developed over the years and the characteristics of uh, of a successful program, the players want to be able to build uh, something even better than what they had for future players. Absolutely. I, I, oh, I'm going to feel bad. I can't recall who said it, but basically said uh, poor teams are led by no one. Good teams are led by coaches and great teams are led by players. And, and, and you know, we really take that approach, especially – we are playing at the club level, right? These kids are paying to play. 
these kids are doing it themselves. We're really here as coaches just to help facilitate. So there's a lot of back and forth, even with our strategy, our X's and O's, our, our, you know, to some degree, I'd say our personnel, we're letting our older guys say who they want to play with. It doesn't always work out that way. Um, we definitely get the final say, but you know, we do take a lot of the, their opinions into consideration and it's a good back and forth for us. And, and again, I think you're right. It really does just show that it's player driven. I guess speaking of players, so will you be scouting or recruiting players at any events coming up that the listeners should be aware of? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we were just in uh, the Detroit Showcase last weekend. Fortunately for us, we played NC State. We were able to watch the Junior Canes and the Charlotte Rush, both elite and premier teams, play on Saturday. Two fantastic games. Um, really strong programs there out of, out of both those those teams. Um, but coming up, we will have our uh, our Arizona buddy Deepak will be in Chicago, potentially with a couple other guys for that showcase, I believe is December 16th. Um, mm-hmm. Myself and the head coach Taylor Lay will be going back to my hometown to Fort Myers. So we'll be at the Florida showcase that same weekend. And then from there, I mean, we just like you guys, not quite like you guys, but we watch a lot of hockey on hockey TV as well. <laughs> yeah. um, we try to get out when possible. Like I said, we were at uh, North Carolina State. We were able to catch a couple we're recording this on November 23rd, so here Thanksgiving weekend, I'll be headed up to BG, Toledo, Cleveland, and Detroit to catch some high school hockey. Um, so yeah, we're definitely getting out and about. You know, if, if I could plug here, I guess if you're interested at all, go ahead to the website BearcatHockey.com. We have a recruitment form. Um, you can email us at ucbearcats.hockey@gmail.com, and you can find us on all our socials at ucicehockey. Um, so, yeah, if you're interested, reach out. We can definitely find a way to get out to you or at least to, to catch some games online. We're going to transition over to our, our fun portion of the talks here. So I'm a fat guy. So uh, we talk about a lot of food on this podcast. So tell me about the food scene around the university and where are some of your favorite places to go grab a bite to eat? Yeah, it is solid. Cincinnati's built right into the city of Cincinnati. The, the campus is. So it's really cool. Plenty of food, restaurants, bars all up and down. Got to shout out Martino's. They're uh, they're a good Italian restaurant slash bar. They they take good care of us. We have some pregame meals there. Um, we had a meal there after our uh, preseason. We had a uh, present versus pass game, which is actually a really cool tune-up game for us, where a ton of alumni came in and we were able to put our current roster up against our alumni team um, in a pretty competitive scrimmage that that gave them a good tune-up. So we went out to eat with all the boys after that. So Martino's is definitely a fan favorite. I got to go with Skyline Chili. Uh, it's, uh, I don't know. Are you guys familiar with Skyline? I, my buddy, um, well, I know my buddy, I think, has brought it up. Uh, Nick, if you're listening, uh, he actually would go to a lot of the games with me in Utah, and he's back now living in Cincinnati the same time I moved to uh, Europe. So um, he has definitely mentioned Skyline because it's not the first time I've heard it. Yeah, so basically it's Chili. Um, it's a little bit soupy and it goes on top of spaghetti noodles. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I love it personally. It comes with like cheese, onions. You can get it with beans or not if you like. And then they do the conies as well, the hot dogs with the chili on top. The secret ingredient inside of the chili is cinnamon, believe it or not. So it has like a really unique local thing. It's like one of those things that everybody either loves it or hates it. Uh, but me personally, I'm a big Skyline guy and it's like truly from downtown Cincinnati. Um, it's, it's really tough to find actually outside the tri-state area, but yeah, I'd say Martino's and Skyline are, are go-tos. I did text our captain, George Zimmerman, or excuse me, George Zimmerer. I always mess that up. I feel bad, but he gave me a national chain, so I'm not going to plug that. 
I was like, hey, dude, where do the where do the boys like to go? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, like, it's some of those national chains can be reliable, but I, I'm all for not plugging any of the big any of the big competitors out there. God unless knows. they unless they come in and give us a sponsorship deal, then it's we'll take that we'll take that sponsorship. We'll That's take right, that no free ads. Money. <laughs> Except for those small businesses out there, but uh, no, yeah, it's uh, those big guys. We're here, and uh, we'll, we'll take that. Uh, we'll take that sponsorship money. But oh, actually, I'm not there. I'm I'm in Copenhagen, and that leads me to my next question: If you could live anywhere in the world outside of Cincinnati, where would that be? It is a tough question, especially because I haven't really been that many places. I, I've definitely just like I, I know the East Coast up and down, like the back of my hand, at least in the U.S. Um, haven't been out west too much. I was going to ask you what it's like to live in Denmark because that sounds really cool. I've romanticized a little bit about living in Europe. But then I always wonder if it's if it's really that cool. <laughs> so I don't is it uh, that cool? <laughs> uh yeah, yeah. Um it is. Uh, you just answered like I've it lived, right there. <laughs> yeah, I've I've lived all over the world and uh I'd have to say Copenhagen itself and, and Denmark. I'd say Denmark's top three countries for me. Copenhagen's the best city um, I've ever been to in, in 36 countries. And uh, yeah, and I've been all over like the U.S., like 41 states. I've been all over Australia and Canada, and I like to travel. And so the fact that I can put Copenhagen number one and I get to live here is simultaneously just awesome. But uh, I mean, it's got its, you know, it's got its pluses and minuses uh, of living here and way more pluses but uh but yeah it's it's a great city and um it, it's if we ever choose to leave it uh that'll that'll be a rough day but yeah it's pretty cool definitely love it yeah so i guess i didn't actually answer your question um of places that i have been that i would probably yeah. want to live other than here would be like up uh in the up of michigan um is a really nice spot which makes me also think in canada would be cool um, where, yeah, where in the up really though because that's my neck of the woods I was up in Grayling plenty of times. It's kind mm-hmm. of the only uh, the spot that I know, but I'm sure the rest of it would be great as well. Yeah, if you like the outdoors, there's you know that's that's where I grew up. So if you love mm-hmm. the outdoors, you know you love of course hockey. It's great hockey, you know weather and mm-hmm. you know great hockey culture. So great place to live. If you're not an outdoorsy person and you need to move immediately because uh, <laughs> there's not a whole heck of a lot else to do. So for me, every time I go back home now to go visit, it's interesting because I become a tourist because you get used to lake every you know ten ten miles down the road. You're used to the green grass and the fall, the changes of the season. So here it's beautiful. It's a different type of beauty. But now when I go home, I especially love going home in the fall or during the winter months so I can really see that again. Right. So, but yeah, when I was leaving it, it didn't hit me until I got out to the bleached out sun killing <laughs> area of Arizona. <laughs> but I said the red rock and stuff out here is beautiful because uh, for me yeah. going to that question, like I want cottages, certain places and ones in Utah. Mobe was beautiful, but I also like Brian's head a lot. Colorado actually would be my ideal spot. When were you in Brian's head? Oh, gosh. Like that was so my younger daughter was about four years old. So about two years ago, we went to Brian's head and then we did the we did all our hikes in and around everywhere. Right. So my favorite was hiking the Navajo Trail. I think I took about 
geez, easily 4,000 pitchers. Because every <laughs> few steps, I just look. Because you, you can't, you, you, just in my opinion, that the beautiful deep cuts of the red rock are amazing. But then the, then you have the lush greenness in Utah up in that area too, like up on the mountains. So it was incredible. Yeah, I made so, it out to uh, Denver and Boulder for spring break a few years ago with a buddy. And we did a lot of hiking out in Boulder and it was awesome. Yeah, it, that, he, that, he now lives me. in Denver, actually, as a result. <laughs> yeah, no, that's for me. It's like so there's th- those states are great, like here in Arizona, too. Right. I can head up to Flagstaff and catch some green and red rock, too. Right. It's just more pronounced in Utah and then definitely over in Colorado. We just did the Colorado. Uh, you know, we just went for a two week vacation this summer to Colorado. And we did, oh, you know, most of the state and we did a ton of hiking. So uh again took way too many pictures found out that my littlest one hates hiking she hates it <laughs> it was a great way to figure it on out hey honey look at this beautiful thing i hate this okay awesome this is going to be a great eight <laughs> hours in the rocky mountains right now so <laughs> so, uh. so anyway my friend back to uh back to another question here i do not get a chance to sit down and read at all I used to be an avid reader i uh, love that my older daughter is but if i if i found the time to read what book have you read recently that you would recommend to me um i try to get back to it every few years i uh, truthfully haven't read it as recently as i probably should but how to win friends and influence people is definitely an all-timer Right now, I've just kind of started getting into this book that's been really popular for the last year called Atomic Habits, sort of like a self-help about just uh, staying motivated and, and keeping your stuff in line. And then like from a hockey standpoint, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Jack Han on, but he is the former assistant coach for the Toronto Marlies. He has a newsletter and he published a few books about hockey strategy and uh, all kinds of different things. So I, I follow him pretty closely and I have one of his tactics books, which is a nice reference he basically went through last year, two years ago, and he's he's done it every few years. But he goes through all 32 teams uh, and all their systems, their forecheck, their zone entries, their PK, their power play, et cetera, and just sort of breaks it down, gives you the overview and the concepts. So pretty helpful for a coach. Yeah. Is wow. any tips in there how to deal with the Toronto media? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a whole book in and of itself, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's crazy. So, you know, of all the places you want to play hockey in the world, you know, Toronto, Montreal always sounds like a great, you know, as long as you're winning, it's great. <laughs> when you have even a slightly off night, like, dear Lord, the the way they jump all down players. And God throats. forbid you're Canadian yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you were born there. Yeah, well, that's that's what's interesting. So, you know, taking a little detour here back to the whole non-traditional hockey market thing. So, you know, it's the appeal of some of these cities. Right. So Stamkos, they were pushing hard to make him a leaf. What was that about four or five years ago when he's getting ready to send his last extension? And I'm telling you right now, like he just sat down and looked at it and said, "Okay, I don't come in here and win a cup with these guys. He's just going to be scrutinized and, you know, demonized. Right. Or he can hang back in Tampa, you know, driving his Lamborghini or whatever he drives. I'm sure it's probably something really nice. (laughs) Yeah, that too. And then be able to walk around town without being bombarded by fans. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Like there is some, you know, in Montreal, I, I actually I lived there for a short period of time. And at the time, Andre Kostitsin, who was just young, was walking, you know, through a mall that I was working at at the time. 
And I looked up and everybody was screaming. The guy had to run into a store to try to hide. But he had hockey flow going on in a long black jacket. So, yeah, good luck hiding there, buddy. It's it's that kind of pressure that's constant that I don't know players would love it. But uh, on the flip side, looking at Cole Caulfield and that smile on his face when he's got a 20-some thousand fans worshipping him right now can also be that bad of a thing. So, but anyway, I digress. Off to you, Chris. <laughs> okay. No, I, I, a lot of fair points right there. <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, I, I'll say you don't get harassed. That's one thing I think I brought up on this podcast. If uh, I don't see the fans in Buffalo, I mean, we're only, what, an hour and a half away from Toronto. But if you're playing in Buffalo, you're going to be recognized. But 95% plus people aren't going to come up and bother you. I still remember seeing uh, when I was younger, Miroslav Chatan walking through the Walden Galleria and you know, you saw him like, Oh cool. That's Miroslav Shatan. And then you moved on. That was it. You, <laughs> didn't, you didn't interrupt him. You didn't go for an autograph or something. You knew he was on his personal time. He had a, you know, a pretty girl around his arm and he was just being a, what was he at that point? Maybe his late twenties, you know, living his best life. And uh, yeah, you just let him, let him be. Same thing. We saw Marv Levy out eating at a restaurant once where, for those of you who don't know, was the Buffalo Bills head coach for quite some time. And uh, yeah, you just let him be. It's anyway, I'm a big fan of a lot of things. In fact, I'm a huge fan of the office. There's a scene I love where they're standing outside because somebody fried a, a pita in, in the break room and caused a little mini fire. So here it is. Your top five Desert Island movies. What are they? All right, so I, I was racking my brain a little bit. I could only think of three. <laughs> okay. But I got, I got Castaway is a definite go-to, and the spinoff, in my mind, Terminal, if you guys have seen that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which is basically the same movie, but in an airport. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Lord of the Flies is an all-timer. I've definitely read that book, watched that one uh, in grade school. Uh, and then this last one is not quite on the island. But I don't know if you guys seen Indianapolis It's about a true story in which a naval ship goes down in the middle of the ocean. And then, I mean, I guess I'll just spoil it. They get ravaged by sharks while they're out there. Um, it's okay. a pretty crazy movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The uh, USS Indianapolis. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I guess um, I guess I should have clarified that question a bit. Uh, do you not watch The Office by chance or no? I, I've seen most of it, but definitely not like religiously. Okay, yes, yeah, I basically worship it. But yeah, Desert Island movies are like a, the the five movies um, you would oh. watch for the rest of your life. <laughs> See, it's not, I wasn't what to when, say. When that was a heck of a well, niche question, man. Like, but, but that okay, was that, again. Yeah. But <laughs> that's my fault for not clarifying. But I. But when you said Desert Island movies, and you actually started, you mentioned Castaway. I'm like, you're going to be trapped on a desert island and watch Castaway. I'm like, oh, because, I know uh, you're talking about movies about being on a desert island. <laughs> it's it's when I read it too. I was like, holy cow, Chris! Like, like, can you can hell? you make that question? So more now you specific? know something about me. I'm I'm fairly literal. <laughs> <laughs> well, right here, I was reading that question too, going, okay, well, if you're on a desert island with a volleyball, which movie would you be watching? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh man. It's pretty funny, man. It's pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> well, do you have any actual Desert Island movies that aren't Desert Island really? Like the five movies you'd watch. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. Time. Here we go. So it'd be, it'd be Dark Knight, the Batman, Batman movie, oh, uh, Batman. Miracle. We'd go Step Brothers, yes. uh, which we just watched on the bus last week and the boys loved it. The last two are probably toss-ups, but I would say most likely Happy Gilmore and then Tommy Boy. 
would probably be my last one. We also <laughs> watched on the bus last weekend. And for a lot of the boys, it was their first time watching that movie. So that was a good time. The, the fat man in the little coat reference yeah. <laughs> comes up so often all the time. And uh, somehow it's in my presence right now, everybody. So I just got to let you know. Uh, <laughs> it's Thanksgiving week and I'm about to be plump again. Um, <laughs> Steve, do you have Desert Island movies? Uh, Absolutely. Man, I am a huge. Well, you know, when you brought up the Dark Knight, Dark Knight is I'm a Batman freak so the dark knight you know trilogy absolutely it's got to be on there for me but i'm a mob movie type of guy so it'd have to be only goodfellas has got to be thrown in there but it's for me it's not you know movies i love my mini series more than or not my series more than anything else like the sopranos i think i've now watched at least 15 times over going nerd like the harry potter series is always entertaining so <laughs> i've got a There'd be a ton. There would it would be hard for me to narrow down five. It'd be like, okay, hold on a second here. Can I? Well, that's the challenge, man. You can only watch five movies for the rest of your life on a desert island. You know, you have to you have to cautiously pick. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I get it. I'll have to get I'll have to get back and really put some thought on this because I do watch a ton of movies, ton of movies. So that that'll be revisited. So, hey, Steve, where can our listeners reach out to you to find out more about the Bearcats program? Sure. Um, so we're available via email at ucbearcats.hockey at gmail.com. Uh, we have a website, bearcathockey.com. And then all our socials are at UC Ice Hockey, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, I think we're on TikTok now, too, actually. So the boys have been having a good time with that, I guess. I've managed to keep myself out of the TikTok so far, but we'll <laughs> with that, that flow, dude, you're going to be a TikTok <laughs> sensation. God, I hope not. <laughs> no dances. I promise you that. No dances. Oh, no, I can't. I watch more TikTok than I probably should at this point. And actually, weirdly enough, a lot of it is hockey. It's it's interesting. My wife will lovingly mock me because when she has TikToks, so usually three minutes, somebody talking about something really important and really smart. Um, it's like a mini TED talk. <laughs> yeah, literally. That's what she has on her TikToks. And she looks at mine and she's like, you just basically transferred everything you'd ever watch on YouTube to, to TikTok. It's people failing, dogs and hockey. And I'm like, yeah, and fan fights. Yeah. That's, that's, that's I'm about to make a TikTok and put all, like our film on it just so the guys watch it. Six <laughs> seconds oh, at a time, maybe be a little boys. bit easier. <laughs> no, they're they're pretty good. That's a joke, but. <laughs> oh no, man! All right, but hey, we'll take uh, we'll probably wrap this up here. So we again want to, but we do want to again thank our special guest, the assistant coach for the University of Cincinnati Bearcats, Stephen Perkins. Steve, thanks for jumping on the show. Thank you all. No, definitely. Thank you for jumping on. And we also want to thank all of you listeners for tuning in. Be sure to reach out if you're in the junior collegiate hockey world and wish to get on a future podcast. Also, follow us on Twitter at PHH Official or on Instagram at Pigeonhole Hockey Podcast to let us know what you think. This was the Pigeon Hockey Podcast with Chris and Steve. Have a great one, hockey fans. And remember, listeners, always clear your crease.